this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindu's in focus podcast with me amit barua your host for this episode finally finally boris johnson had to resign as britain's prime minister he clung on to power for as long as he could quitting only after a long procession of ministers and mps resigned their jobs while resigning johnson expressed no regrets for his conduct describing the behavior of his colleagues as eccentric and blamed their actions on herd mentality so why did johnson finally go and who is likely to succeed him i am joined from london by andrew whitehead journalist and commentator to discuss these issues welcome to the in focus podcast andrew it's uh, it's wonderful to be back again thank you very much amit so andy he finally had to go he did on where are we now on wednesday night it did look as if 10 downing street was becoming a bunker that he was beleaguered besieged and simply refusing to go while members of the cabinet and mp's many of whom were personally loyal to boris johnson were saying it's over you've lost your party you have got to go and by thursday breakfast time he was gone but not fully gone so at this moment he is still britain's prime minister and his intention is to stay on until there's a new conservative party leader in place which could take 8 or 10 weeks they will try and hurry it up but really he had suffered a series of scandals which reflected very badly on his personal behavior his personal integrity and his honesty and his allies in government and in the conservative party simply got fed up so would you say um, the allegations uh, around the conservative deputy chief whip uh, chris pincher was that in a sense uh, the issue that uh, clinched uh, i mean in a sense was the final straw in um, johnson having to go I think it was the final straw. Yes, I mean, if it ha- if it was simply the only incident, he could probably have survived. I mean, what happened is quite complicated. So Chris Pincher, about eight or nine days ago, got very, very drunk in a Conservative Party club and is alleged to have groped, in other words, to have made an unwelcome physical sexual advance to young men. And when this became public, and Chris Pincher resigned his government role. there were suggestions that this had been a pattern of conduct and number 10 so Boris Johnson's office repeatedly said Boris Johnson didn't know anything of a pattern of conduct but that turned out not to be true he had been told of a previous complaint which had been upheld which had been confirmed of inappropriate sexual behavior by this same guy before he appointed him to the government job and this was revealed by a former civil servant going public that's very very unusual here going public and saying Downing Street is not telling the truth and that's when uh, support which in any case was very wobbly for him within the conservative party really leached away and quite surprisingly it was the resignation of two key ministers both of south asian heritage which basically did the deed um so sajid javid who was the health secretary and rishi sunak who was the finance minister the chancellor of the exchequer two really big beasts within boris johnson's government both resigned earlier this week within a few minutes of each other and that really put the skids under his government so yes the chris pincher scandal you have to call it a scandal 
is what led to his downfall this week. Without that, I think he would still have gone by the end of the summer, but it, he probably wouldn't have gone just now. Staying on the Chris Pincher affair, um, you know, as you mentioned, that a former senior civil servant spoke out on the issue. So clearly, Boris Johnson was aware of the allegations when he appointed him. So what does this speak about Boris Johnson's personality? What does that tell us? It tells us that Boris Johnson really has a sense of entitlement. He really doesn't think, he really doesn't think that the rules apply to him, therefore the ordinary people. He doesn't see himself as an ordinary person. He has a loose connection with the truth. I think he, part of his personality is shooting from the hip. It's bravado. It's bluster. It's also charm, of which he has a great deal wit, of which he has a huge amount, and a sort of native cunning intelligence. He has all these. So as a sort of, as a debater, an orator, a sort of a populist politician, he is hugely successful. But leading a government, he's made a mess of it. I mean, he's done some big things, but overall, he is not a leader. And he's not a team player. He's instinctively not a team player. He's not loyal to his friends and colleagues. So even during Partygate, essentially, uh, what came out was that uh, the rules was for other people. Isn't that similar to, you know, what happened in the Chris Pincher matter? Yeah, I mean, it is just amazing that uh, 80 people, including the Prime Minister and indeed the Chancellor of the Exchequer, have been fined for breaking COVID social distancing regulations, which the government brought in because of parties, a series of parties held in Downing Street, during the pandemic. It's not just that there was one party, there were a string of social events. The Prime Minister wasn't present at all of them, and he only has received one fine, but he was fined for breaking his own regulations. And uh, it's not so much that, which is bad enough, but it's that Boris Johnson repeatedly said there were no parties, no rules were broken. And he got his cabinet ministers to say that because they believed the assurances they were given. By and large, the cabinet ministers were not at the parties and didn't know about the parties, though they must have heard a little bit on the rumour mill. But it's just a sign of a lack of integrity. Not only do you stage these parties, do you countenance these parties, but when you're found out, when a whistleblower says, look what's been happening in 10 Downing Street, your immediate reaction is to obfuscate and deceive. And that really doesn't you know, bode well with somebody at the top of government. Andy, you mentioned uh, you know, earlier that uh, the resignations of Rishi Sunak and Sajid Javed were big blows to Boris Johnson. But also we saw that his new Chancellor of the Exchequer, Nadim Zahavi, you know, he expressed no confidence in um, Boris Johnson's leadership. How big was that in uh, sort of turning the tables on him? This week has been so bizarre. So... I think it was Tuesday night, I and mean, everything is so scrambled now. It's been so such a concentrated period. But it was Tuesday night, as I remember it, that Rishi Sunak and Sajid Javid staged their very dramatic resignations. Their posts were filled within a few hours. And then the next day, so 24 hours later, the new Chancellor, Nadim Zahawi, without resigning, is releasing a letter saying, I really think Boris Johnson should resign. So it's just through the looking glass. Another new cabinet appointment resigned 24 hours after taking up her appointment. 
she has set a record for the shortest-lived cabinet minister in British history. So people were taking the job thinking, I'm not quite sure what they were thinking, thinking that perhaps Boris Johnson could survive the storm. And they were probably deluged by fellow Conservative MPs saying, what are you doing? This guy's got to go. Why are you shoring him up? And in one case, they went public saying, actually, my boss is flawed and should resign. And in the other case, having just accepted a job, they resigned. But over the course of 48 hours, more than 60 members of the government, most of them junior ministers, but half a dozen of them in the cabinet, resigned, saying they had no confidence in the prime minister. It was a hemorrhage. And most of those junior minister vacancies have not yet been filled. So, Andy, before we you know, discuss the issue of the successor, which is a key issue for us uh, in this episode of the In Focus podcast. I'm now going to ask you, what is the process by which the Conservative Party elects a new leader? It's slightly cumbersome. And the Conservative Committee, which is in, oversees the process, is going to meet on Monday to finalise the timetable, and it may refine the rules. So as things stand... Any Conservative Member of Parliament, elected Conservative MP, can stand for the leadership if they have the public support of eight fellow Conservative MPs. I think the number's eight. And then what happens is that Conservative Members of Parliament themselves have a series of votes until there are just two candidates standing. And then those two top candidates for among Conservative MPs the choice then is made by a, a ballot of all Conservative Party members in the country. There are about 100,000 Conservative Party members. So this, the shortlisting of two is done by members of Parliament in successive ballots, and then it's Conservative Party members who make the final choice. And that's, that's quite interesting because Boris Johnson is deeply unpopular with MPs. He's deeply unpopular with the public. He's still not that unpopular among ordinary Conservative Party members. They tend to be older, more conservative, more right-wing than the general public and indeed Conservative MPs. And they may well look for a sort of Boris substitute to take over from him. Well, I think the members of Parliament will want a really new, radical, fresh approach. So do you think, uh, does that mean that Boris Johnson can still influence, you know, the appointment of a successor? I think his direct influence will be limited. And if he abides by convention, and I have to say he doesn't often abide by convention, then an outgoing leader does not endorse or campaign for any of the potential successors. But I think there are ways in which, you know, he and his camp can make known who they, who they support. That won't help, I think, uh, in the early stages. In fact, it might be a hindrance in the early stages for a candidate. It could help in the later stages. But they, I mean, but we have, we've had such a maelstrom, a political maelstrom, a hurricane of a week that you're not quite sure how things are going to settle down. And it's it's the whole Conservative Party is in crisis and in flux, and we haven't really had a detailed readout of opinion among Conservative Party members in the country. So there's a lot that really is very uncertain will become clear in the days and weeks ahead. There's been some criticism of Johnson that, you know, he chose to continue as Prime Minister. Did he have the option of going immediately? Was that an option available under your system of governance? 
Yes, he could have done. Uh, he could have arranged for... He, there is a deputy prime minister, a guy called Dominic Raab, who's a member of Johnson's cabinet. He could have said, look, the loss of confidence in me is so profound, I can't stay on as a caretaker. So I'm going to ask my deputy prime minister to act as an interim prime minister. Technically, that would have required the permission of the Queen. Actually, I don't think that would have been a problem at all. But I think, I think Boris Johnson, I mean, he's bruised by his eviction from Downing Street and he's clinging on for his last bit of power and influence. He is still appointing uh, new members of the cabinet to replace those who've resigned. I'm not sure that he should be doing that. And there is quite a strong feeling among some sections of the party that really they need to persuade him to go go completely and go now. And I, I've been reading this morning's papers and one columnist says, actually, technically, Boris Johnson's boss as prime minister is the Queen. And Boris Johnson has not submitted a resignation to the Queen. He remains prime minister. All he's done is said that he will resign when the Conservative Party has a new leader. That could take two months. I'm sure Boris is thinking, this columnist says, that the world could change within those two months and people might say, you've got to stay on, Boris. There's a crisis. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. But I can part believe that somewhere in the back of Boris's mind is perhaps things will change. There'll be a huge crisis and people will realise they've made a mistake getting rid of me and they'll ask me to stay on. It won't happen, but he might believe it could. Anyway, my last question, um, Andy, on Boris Johnson. Let's assume that he goes finally, whether he goes now or you know a month later or two months later. Is there a future still for him in British politics? I don't think so. No previous Conservative Prime Minister who has been forced to resign has had a future in frontline politics. He will still be a, 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 a political figure. My guess is what he will do is he will go back to what he did before he entered politics and what he's done at various times when he's not held a senior government position, which is he'll be, he'll be a journalist and commentator. He'll, he used to write a weekly column for The Telegraph. He was paid £5,000 a week for that column. And I'm sure The Daily Telegraph will welcome him back as a columnist and probably at a bigger fee. And he'll write his memoirs and he'll do the speaking circuit. I suspect he will hanker after a return to frontline politics, but he is so flawed so controversial, I just cannot see it happening. Right. So now on to the issue of the successor. Who, who do you think are the front runners uh, for the prime minister's job? There is no front runner. And there's about 10 or 12 people who are indicating that they're thinking about running. And a couple have already said they're candidates. If this had happened four or five months ago, I would say Rishi Sunak, who was then the chancellor, would be the front runner. But he's had quite a difficult time. Some of his economic measures have been quite unpopular. He has himself been fined for breach of social distancing regulations. There was a big fuss about his wife's tax status, which meant that she it was legal, but it didn't look good. She was avoiding paying a lot of British taxes. Then it became apparent that he had been a green card holder in the States, which made people wonder so, you know, why would you do that when you're, you know, you're a, a figure in British politics? It was some time ago, but it was after he entered politics, I believe. So all those have cast something of a cloud on him. However, I mean, the fact that he resigned before Boris Johnson did will give him some sort of greater kudos. And people respect him. He is straight. I mean, basically, people would see him as 
a person of integrity. So he's in with a chance. But among some people, of course, the fact that he wielded the dagger will be a negative. And others will say, actually, Rishi Sunak served in Boris Johnson's cabinet for two and a half years. He is complicit in a lot of the dubious decisions that Boris Johnson made and didn't really stand up when things were starting to go wrong. And we need somebody who is not contaminated by being an ally of Boris Johnson in the past. So I really wouldn't like to say who it would be. Um, Another conservative of Indian heritage, a woman called Suella Braverman, who is of Goan heritage, is also standing. I don't think she'll win, but it's quite interesting that there are two people of Indian heritage who are standing, and there will be Sajid Javed as well, one of the people who resigned who is of Pakistani heritage. So there's at least a chance that there'll be somebody with South Asian ancestry who will become Britain's prime minister. But I don't think we're going to have a sense for a couple of weeks about how the field is faring and who's getting that magical thing, momentum. And what about Ben Wallace and Liz Truss? and a couple of backbenchers who've uh, uh, sort of thrown in the hat already. Well, Ben Wallace is a defence secretary, very loyal to Boris Johnson. Sound guy. He's a bit dull. Maybe dull would be good at the moment. Liz Trust. Liz Trust is, again, a Boris supporter. She's the foreign secretary. She is quite right-wing and quite shrill. She will be probably quite popular among the Conservative Party membership in the country, but I suspect less popular among her fellow MPs. And the Conservative Party system means you've got to basically have a high standing among your MPs before you get the chance to be put in front of the Conservative membership in the country. My guess is that neither of them will quite do it. Right. You mentioned, uh, you know, three people of uh, South Asian heritage uh, who are, you know, in a sense in the running. What is your sense? I mean, is Britain prepared for a person, uh, you know, of South Asian heritage or even uh, Iraqi heritage to be the country's prime minister? Well, you're right. I mean, Iraqi heritage, that's Nadim Zahawi, the new chancellor, who will certainly, I think, stand and and stands a chance, though I, I don't think a strong chance. My sense is, yes, the country wouldn't have a problem with somebody like Rishi Sunak or uh, Nadim Zawi or Suella Braverman being prime minister, or at least the fact that they have Indian or Pakistani heritage would not stand against them. I mean, there are, there's a small, small minority within the Conservative Party which will say, you know, how British are these people? Do we want to have these people as our leader? But that's a very, very minor voice. I mean, and largely discredited. Among the public at large and among most Conservative Party members and certainly most Conservative MPs, people will be considered entirely on their merit and not because of the colour of their skin and their heritage. And Rishi Sunak has proved to be, until quite recently, a very popular politician. And the fact that he would have been the front runner until a few months ago demonstrates, I think, that uh, that he has got you know credibility. And indeed, it's worth remembering that Rishi Sunak uh, represents a constituency, North Yorkshire, which has hardly any people of colour living there. So that didn't become an obstacle to him both getting the Conservative Party nomination there and winning a very resounding majority there. So I think we're beyond, broadly, we are beyond judging people here by the colour of their skin. Right. So before I let you go, Andy, so if you were a betting man, whom would you be betting on? If you were 
if I had to put £10 on somebody today, I'd probably put it on Rishi Sunak because he's got name recognition and it's his to lose in a sense. But I say that without any great confidence. I still think he's probably, he's got a 25% chance. If I was looking at the odds, I might think who is there who is completely, I mean, largely untainted. And there are backbenchers such as Tom Tugendhat and a former junior minister, but a woman who's quite well regarded, Kemi Badenoch, who is actually, I think, of African heritage. And they might be able to carve out space for themselves as a new and fresh approach. I'm not sure that they would take the party and the country with them, but they might just do it if there is a real appetite for something new, young, and largely untainted by being a buddy of Boris. So, and if you wanted to sort of 25 to 1 outsider, I'd go for one of them. Right. Andrew Whitehead, thank you so much uh, for talking to the Hindus in Focus podcast. A real pleasure. Thanks, Simon. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.